everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. All right. We've started out the last couple weeks, um, we're going to continue to do this because I think it's really important that we keep this front of mind as part of the global church. There's a war on right now and that wars fracture people and wars fracture communities and wars fracture. Um, Bombings have continued to happen. There's soldiers on both sides. There's pain all around. We just wanted to take a second at the front end to pause, to pray for, and to consider the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia. Let's take a moment now just to pray. Jesus, I can't fathom um, living the life that I live here in a time when there's war like that happening. I can't imagine it as a husband or as a dad, as an employee. Uh, Just the, the catastrophic at every level brokenness all around. We pray for the folks that are experiencing that, both people who are victims and people who are perpetrators of evil and violence. We pray that your kingdom would come. We seek it for for our friends that we don't know across the globe. And for those that we do, continue to quicken our hearts and our prayers to consider them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, We're continuing on today in our series called Party On. And and it's um, helpful, I think, to even have this war frame of reference that we're in. Because I think if we're going to understand the party that we're talking about today, we have to understand some of the effects of um, something like PTSD, uh, which is, you can't get away. That was really a term that came up after World War I as they were noticing these soldiers were coming back, but they were living in a reality that wasn't real anymore. Like we took the soldier off the battlefield, but we couldn't take the battlefield out of the soldier. Or to put it in a more modern language, you can take the dog out of the junkyard, but you can't take the junkyard out of the dog. If you heard that phrase before, that, that phrase will become so helpful for us today. But, but more than PTSD, we, just, we notice when there's situations where there is just evil going on. There, there's another diagnosable condition called Stockholm Syndrome. And to very oversimplify this for this audience, this is where you've been held captive or you've been abused by somebody and you find yourself still needing or wanting or loving this thing that has only done damage to you. It's crazy how the human brain is wired to receive evil. How we we handle situations that we go, this is just so wrong. It's so messed up. And again, if we're going to understand this party today, I think hold on to things like PTSD or hold on to Stockholm Syndrome or if, you, if you're like, I don't really know what either of those are, just hold on to this phrase. You can take the dog out of the junkyard, but you can't take the junkyard out of the dog. And we're going to dive in because what we're studying today is an old school Jewish party festival called Shavuot. 
And by show of hands, how many of you are like, oh, I know what this one is? Yes, that's, okay, that's about what I expected. I think if I were in the crowd, I would be like, I, it sounds nice that there's a lot of vowels in that word, but I don't know much about it. Shavuot. Um, and, and just to reset our focus a little bit, why are we studying these parties? Like, and why is it that we haven't really looked at them a lot in our past? As we, as we started out at the beginning of the year, we were looking at the book of Genesis, and particularly in Genesis 1, the center of that poem, which is so important for a Jewish reader, God says, I put the stars and the sun in the heavens, and I put them there so that you would know when to celebrate the things that I'm going to tell you to celebrate. And we have to remember he's talking uniquely to this Jewish nation of people when he's handing all this stuff over. But there should be, as students of the text, there should be something in us that has this drive to understand, well, why? Like, what were those parties and why were they so important to him that even on day four of creation, he's already planning ahead and making sure that he's putting exclamation points on these things so that we get them. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We are going on an absolute treasure hunt, and I, I'm just, I'm so excited for what we're about to do. We're going to start off in Leviticus chapter 23. You know it's going to be a great service when we start in Leviticus. So turn to Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to start off in verse 15. And just some background, this whole chapter of Leviticus, if you want to see the outline for this whole sermon series, it's Leviticus 23. This is the part where God's going, I want you to celebrate this party, and this party, and this party, and this, and he's just giving the basic highlight notes. And then in different places, last week we're in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy really flushes out first fruits, but right before verse 15, he's talking about first fruits in Leviticus 23. So if you're there, we're just going to read these first three verses in Leviticus 23, verse 15. And it says this, and again, Bring the text with you. If you have it in your phone, I can't encourage you enough. Bring that. Write notes in this thing. This is something that we love to study because through seeing this, we see God more clearly. Bring it with you. It says this. And from the day after the Sabbath, from the day on which you bring the sheaf of the elevation offering, you shall count off seven weeks. We're going to talk about what all that means in just a second. And they shall be complete. You shall count until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days. Then you shall present an offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your settlements two loaves of bread as an elevation offering, each made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be choice flour baked with leaven as first fruits for the Lord. Weird. (laughs) What's going on? You know, you may have just read that and gone, well, this is talking about first fruits. I thought we were talking about whatever that word was. So here's what you need to know. First fruits we talked about last week, and this was something that was deeply tied to the land itself. Whatever grew, the first 10% of whatever came from the ground, we're going to gather that, we're going to head to the temple, and we're going to offer it to God. That is a moment that's tied to the land, to what the land's doing, to things that are growing. So at any point, when you're ready to go with your 10%, you take off. This is, it's talking about the first Sabbath in seven weeks. And you might be going, what's the timestamp on here? Who's running the show? Passover is running the show. From the Sabbath that follows Passover, there were then to be seven weeks. And if you've been hanging out here for a little while, you know that in a Jewish culture, the number seven is a huge number. It is the number of completion as if God is saying, after Passover, the thing that I've been trying to complete in my story, you're going to commemorate that thing. 
So they wait for seven weeks, seven Sabbaths afterwards, 50 days, God says, which the math is a little funky, but you're counting in, in a Jewish style of counting, it's 50. And you're gonna need to remember that for the finale at the end of this sermon because 50 is gonna be, it's so cool, you guys. So after 50 days, and what are we supposed to do? Bring from your settlements two loaves of bread as an elevation offering, each made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be choice flour baked with leaven, baked with yeast as first fruits for the Lord. Okay. If you've been, if you were here last week, if, and if you were here for Emily's um, sermon on the festival of unleavened bread, you might be going, what, what's, on, what's happening? Why is this bread leavened? Why, why is there bread? And why is it not, like when we celebrate Passover or the, um, the stuff with unleavened bread, it doesn't give you the recipe. It doesn't say add this much flour and you're done. Why does this one say being two loaves, each made of two tenths of an ephah? What is going on here? This is a strange story. This is a strange thing to be celebrating. What is going on? And I think as modern day readers who are largely out of a Jewish context, this can be a section of our text, of our scriptures that we read and we just like scrunch our our eyebrows and we move on. Like, I don't get it. But we're gonna do a deep dive into this. And there is so much going on in the text here. So, what's up with the bread? Why is he talking about that? The other reason why the bread is such a weird thing to consider is because if you look at a Jewish community today celebrating Shavuot, you're gonna find them staying up all night long reading the Bible. That's how they celebrate this. You're not gonna find a ton of bread running around, but I think if you were even to ask a modern day Jewish person, what do you celebrate on Shavuot? They say, we celebrate God giving the law to us. God giving the law to his people. That's different than what this says. Why is it, are we celebrating the giving of the law? And they would say, yeah, that's when God gave the law on Mount Sinai. That was 50 days after the Passover. We're on Sinai, he gives the law to Moses. So that's what we celebrate. But if you're reading the text, you're going, this says nothing about that. (laughs) This talks about bread. What's the deal? What's up with this bread? An ephah. What is an ephah? You're supposed to make it out of two tenths of an ephah. Now, if you're a good student of the text, the first thing that you're going to do is go, has this shown up before? Has two tenths of an ephah ever been in the Bible leading up to this story? Or does it show up afterwards? Because those are just little breadcrumb clues that lead us to whatever this is talking about. Can you think of a time? As you, as you just tap your own biblical database, can you think of a time where a specific measure of bread was asked of from the people? You sh- it, shouldn't, it shouldn't hit you at all. And if, if it does, you're an incredible student of the text. But it is there. If you had a computer right now and typed it in, you would right away find a story that you go, that is interesting because I do know that story. It's a story that centers around this bread stuff. This thing that when people saw it, they said, what is it? And, and what they ended up calling it is actually the Hebrew name for what is it, because they just didn't know what it was. And at this point, you might now be putting together the pieces, oh, it's manna. It's the story of the manna. If, so if we want to understand that, let's now jump into the story of the manna. So if you've got your Bible, turn over to Exodus 16. 
If you don't have your Bible today, that is okay. I would actually invite you for this one to close your eyes and hear the story. And if you've never heard this story before, this one is a mind bender with what's going on. Check this out. Exodus chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 2, and we're going to read this whole story. To give you some context, Israel has just been brought out of Egypt, where they've been in slavery for about 400 years. It's bad times. But finally, they're free. The problem is that they find themselves plunked in the middle of a desert, where it's hard to feed a whole nation of people. And this is what happens. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron, who were the leaders at the time, in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. Each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as the, as the frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. But Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. An omer to a person. Now, Let's pause there for a second because what the heck is an omer? An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. We were instructed on Shavuot to gather two-tenths of an ephah. You gather two-tenths, you gather double an omer on the day before Sabbath so that you can rest on your Sabbath day. So all of a sudden, this correlation, as you're reading and following the breadcrumbs, you're going, this now is raising my eyebrows. God's real keen on his Sabbath, and we know that from our whole last series in Genesis. But what is going on in this story? Let's keep reading. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing more over, nothing over. And those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. <laughs> some of them left part of it until morning and it bred worms and it became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it as much as they needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece, an ephah. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not become foul and there were no worms in it. 
And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found nothing. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? What's going on in this story? So we've got now this direct correlation. We know now in Shavuot, it's saying bring these exact two loaves of bread that, had, that weighed this exact much. And for this people that know this story like the back of their hand, right away they're going, oh, so it's like manna. But why? Like, is God simply just saying, don't forget that I provide things in deserts? That's reason to party enough. I mean, can I get an amen on that? And that is true and good. But I think that there's even more if we continue to dive into the story because manna on its own is this compelling story. But there's stories that drive that story. And I think if we can string together, in, the Jewish rabbis would call this a string of pearls. If we can take one really good idea, but then bring something like manna up behind it and go, oh, isn't that incredible? But then what else is behind that? They start stringing together these pearls. And I think there's more pearls to be strung together here. What's going on with this story? And I think if we want to understand that, this is, this is the central story of the day, this manna thing. But there's one other brief story that I want to share with you that is this other pearl. And for that one, we've got to go even deeper into Exodus. And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 5, verse 7. Now, again, to understand the context of the story, Israel has been a slave the nation has been enslaved for 400 years. And right now, as we understand it in the text, the Pharaoh of the time is the, the forced labor that they have is they're making bricks. That's all. You wake up every single day, no Sabbath. You make bricks from sunup to sundown. You are a brick making machine. That's what you are. That's what you exist to do. It's dehumanizing. It's It's slavery. It's completely messed up. And we're going to catch up to this story as Moses is coming back into Egypt and he's saying, hey, Pharaoh, I, all I want is to take my folks out of Egypt. We want to go to the wilderness. We're going to come back. But we need to, we're, we, God asked me to ask you to have everybody go out and worship our God. Can we do that? And Pharaoh says, let me think about it. No, <laughs> absolutely not. And he says this in Exodus 5, verse 7. In fact, not only no, but you shall no longer give the people straw to make their bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks that they have made previously. Don't diminish it, for they're lazy. That's why they cry, let us go and offer a sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and they will pay no attention, and they will pay no attention to deceptive words. So essentially, Pharaoh's saying, look, if you guys have, think you have time to just sit around and think about stuff, if you've got time to pray, if you've got time to consider leaving and going out to the wilderness and worshiping your God, then you've got time to make more bricks. And in fact, to teach you a lesson, I'm not going to give you straw anymore. Because you have all this extra time, you can go find your straw to make the bricks. But I expect the same amount of bricks. On my Excel sheet, same bottom line, figure it out. You are a brick-making machine. Don't forget your place. 
the story would go on and he would actually double down. He would say, I want twice the amount of bricks from you. Get it done. It's this violent, awful enslavement. It's this horrible dictator. What is going on in this story? When we look at Pharaoh in his story with these bricks, and then when we look at what God is doing in the story of the manna, there are so many things that you go, these stories are the same. They are mirror images of each other. But it's like one is a good, beautiful, true reality, and the other one is a corrupt, twisted, awful outcome. But they're parallel in so many ways. Check this out. Here's what's going on. I, just a couple of things up on the screen that you'll see. So we have a comparison of Pharaoh and God. In each story, the people are told to go out and collect something. Obviously, with Pharaoh, he's saying, go out and collect straw. That's what I want you to go get. But God is saying, I want you to go out and collect manna. There's a quota for each of these things. Pharaoh says, you have a quota of bricks that I want you to go get. God very clearly says, you have a quota. It's an omer per person. And I love in the story, I was listening to somebody else teach on this earlier this week. And they said, this is, this is a story of training wheels. Like God told everybody, go get an omer per person. And it says some people collected more, some people collected less. But when they got back, they weighed it and everybody had an omer. <laughs> it's like God was saying, yeah, I'll take care of it. Everybody gets an omer. And then on days where he says, don't, don't collect more than I told you to, and don't collect less. If they collect more, it like, there's worms in it, you can't eat it. It's, it's, so that it's, you cannot do wrong on this. You can do it wrong, but God's going to take care of it. You're going to get an omer. And on Friday, you're going to get two omers so that you don't have to go collect on Saturday. It's fantastic. An omer per person. But there's also a double down effect in each of these stories. Pharaoh's double down is bricks. If you have all this extra time, go get more straw. I want double the bricks from you. God has a double down. And, and I can't, like, the Hebrew in this, I just cannot express enough how clearly it's, it's words, the exact phrases from the Pharaoh story is the exact phrase in this manna story. Double the bricks. God says double the manna. Crazy. There's this phrasing in the Hebrew, no more and no less. In the Pharaoh story, Pharaoh says, no more straw, but no less bricks. In the manna story, God is saying, no more than an omer, no less than an omer. Each has a Sabbath in its story. This is absolutely fascinating. The Sabbath that shows up in Pharaoh's stories, he says, no Sabbath. And it's, this is mind-blowing. Do you know the first time that a human utters the word Sabbath in the whole body of Scripture? We know that God says it all throughout Genesis, but the first time that a human being says the word Sabbath is Pharaoh. And when Moses is saying, can we go out to the desert to worship, Pharaoh says, there will be no rest. There will be no time off, no Sabbath for you. Wow. And in pretty short fire order after this, we get the story of manna where God clearly in the text is saying, Sabbath, Sabbath collect double on Friday so you can rest on Saturday. It's amazing. In each story, the people complain. <laughs> and when they complain, Pharaoh's response is, figure it out. I'm not listening. I don't care what your problem is. You're a brick-making machine. Make my bricks. When the people complain to God, his response is, I'll figure it out. I'm listening to you. 
this is amazing. We have this party called Shavuot, and on Shavuot we're told, you need to bring exactly this much bread. And it's exactly that much bread that you would have gathered right before the Sabbath day when manna was coming down. If you're gonna do that, it's because you're reliving a story where I am rewiring my people. They have had so much PTSD as slaves. We see evidence at the beginning of our story in, in Exodus as the people start complaining. They're going, we just wanna go back to Egypt. At least we had bread there. There's a sense kind of of like a Stockholm syndrome. Very clearly and undeniably to me, because it's then way less clinical and I'm not on the hook for this, is this sense of, I got my people out of Egypt, but now I gotta get Egypt out of my people. I need to get the junkyard out of the dog. How am I going to do this? They are so used to, has it ever bothered you in scripture, particularly in this Exodus story, that people leave under one form of godness or one form of government or one set of laws and 50 days later they are given a new set of laws and we're supposed to celebrate that as freedom and as liberty. That's weird. This is a strange, like that should trouble you a little bit of like they just swapped out one set of rules for another. Why, Why are they free now? That doesn't make sense. They've just replayed Pharaoh with God. Unless you understand the story. Because you understand something grand has happened here. The reason why we're celebrating Shavuot, it's, it's huge. God's saying, I'm, I'm different. I'm different than anything you've ever seen, anything you've ever known before. I'm a totally different ruler. My laws are totally different laws. And if you're going to understand me, you're going to have to know, I'm going to have to have a story where I show you how much different I am. So 50 days after I bring you out of Egypt, I want you to remember that the first command that I gave you was to eat, to go collect food that I provided but then the holiday that we're gonna celebrate is all of the commands that I gave you because all of my commands lead to freedom and all of my commands lead to justice and all of my commands for all the corruption and all the damage that was done to you in Egypt, all of my commands instill in you a humanity that you were always meant to have. And as you hold these stories, I think there, there should be something that, that rises up in you where you go, yes, if this is true, if this God really is that good, if his laws are that beautiful, yes, of course we're going to celebrate that. We're not just going to celebrate that, yes, he had men on the ground, man, is a great story, yay, two omers, boom. We're going to celebrate the fact that God, God replaced Pharaoh. God fundamentally reworked the identity of his people. And he's going to commemorate looking back, saying, remember how bad it was. Remember how good you have it now. As we look ahead then in scripture, Shavuot happens one more time in spades. And it's a story that goes by a different name, but it's, if it went by its Hebrew name, it would be the day of Shavuot. But in the Greek language, which is where we catch up in the New Testament to the language going on, we're gonna get it in Greek. We're gonna get it by its Greek name. And the Greek name is Pentecost. Pentecost is the day after Jesus ascends to heaven that the disciples are gathered. There's a handful of people. They're praying. They're a little freaked out. 
and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit whoosh comes into the room. It describes it in Acts 2, like tongues of fire resting on their heads. And, and they leave this space. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They walk outside and they just start preaching. And there's people, Shavuot, you would have to, everybody would go to the temple. Everybody would show up in Jerusalem. So on this particular day in Acts 2, there's Jewish people from all over the world that are descending. And they all are speaking different languages. And these people go outside and they just start telling the story of God. They start talking about Pharaoh in Egypt. They talk about Abraham. They talk about Genesis. They talk about all these years in exile in Babylon. Then they start telling the story of Jesus and the man that he was and the way that he wasn't just a standalone, uh, he does, he's separated from all of these stories, but he was the fulfillment of all this stuff. And as they're saying this, everybody, regardless of what language they spoke, can hear everything that they're doing. It's as if God in his story and his commands, he's saying it's for everybody. I want to make sure everybody gets it because I'm totally different. And that day it says there were thousands of people who heard that story and they said, I want to follow this God. Amazing. And if you understand the Old Testament story, you, you have to understand this is the Bible. These are the stories that Jesus read. This is what he grew up with. This was his culture. But these were the things that he fulfilled. And there's a richness and a depth when we dive in and we go, well, there's one pearl. And then there's another one. And then what drives that story? And what drives that story? It's amazing. What are we celebrating on this day? I'm going to bring out the band as I land. I'm fired up. This is so cool. He's better than anything. This God, he's better than your earthly dad. One thing that we struggled with in young life all the time was we talk about God the Father. And, and for a while, there was an idea of, well, we can't do that because some kids have had really bad dads. Yes, they have. But they need to know they have a really good dad. You have a really good dad. Even if you had a good dad here, you have a dad in heaven who every single day looks at you and says, I love you. I have so much goodwill that I just want to speak over you and lead you into today. Oh, you need to know that the things that bring you pleasure, he's better than those things. He's the best. The rules that you've tried to follow to, to just justify yourself as a good person, he's better. His are better in all ways. He is better. We're all born into this junkyard kind of a world, and it gets into every single one of us. And just like with the people in the story, God is going, you've had these pharaohs. You've had these addictions. You've had these experiences, things that you've done, things that have been, have been done to you and I'm better. I'm going to take care of you. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is I'm going to give you a new set of rules and they will bring you life. They will make you the most fully human you have ever considered, let alone experienced. Celebrate this every year that I care for you, that the way I care is with my law. Stay up all night and read about it. It's like the first nerd slumber party that shows up in scripture. It's not the last one either. He's saying delight in this book. I know I can harp a little bit on bring this with you to church, but the reason why I want you to have this in your hands is because I want you when you go home to go, I can't, I can't believe it. I'm taking notes. I'm learning. And it can be in your phone. I don't want to be that dogmatic about a physical thing. But oh, this is, an, this is amazing. This is manna to us. Better than anything else we could ever have considered or come up with on our own. And God says, celebrate it. Don't forget this. We're going to take some time 
to stand together if you're able and to worship. But I don't want you to miss the fact sometimes worship in our context can just be singing. I, I would invite you today, what does your worship in the text look like? When have you found yourself reading the scripture on your own simply because this gives life and reminds you that the pharaohs of this world are not the best? This is a gift. Celebrate it well. Let's stand together and sing and praise this God.